the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Hey everyone! Hello! Hey! Hi! Sorry, distracted. <laughs> so great to be talking to you all again. Yeah. Talking about the message. Mm -hmm. The message. I'm really, I'm really excited. But what uh, message are we talking about? The, the journal that we just were supposed to read, or so. Mm -hmm. The yeah. uh, the uh, we're reading. We're talking about the um, vernacular mm -hmm. English adaptation of the Bible that came out in like the early 2000s. I'm lying. I'm Ooh. lying. Um, that sounds great. It's not. Hey, I'm reading. I'm reading so much Bible fan fiction right now. Oh man! You're reading Dante's Inferno. Well, I'm gonna read Dante's Inferno again. I'm also reading Paradise Lost, and I have next to me uh, other Bible fan fiction. It's a novel wow. called Bottomino. Wow. Not even Christian, y'all. <laughs> Parker, what's the name? What's the name of that? Uh, is it the the Living Translation or something? No, it's literally called the message. Oh, okay. I've got a different Bible that's like horrible and translated into vernacular. A lot of people <laughs> back in the day were really into bringing the Bible into contemporary English vernacular. Uh, Have you seen the uh, manga adaptations? Ooh, no. I see that. I feel like if you're going for true accessibility, I think I feel like that's probably <laughs> okay. Only if you like remind people to read backwards. <laughs> anyway, I'm not I'm not the person to uh to have opinions about this. Uh do we have to introduce ourselves for a professor again? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna go for it. Hi, I'm Parker Renevere. I use she her pronouns, and today my uh jar of hot caffeinated beverage was too close to a pillar candle, and now I have a coaster made of wax on my desk. I'm gonna have to clean off after this. Hey, I'm Brad. <laughs> uh I use he and they pronouns. And my mug is full of iced tea. Again with the iced tea, it's like still not quite spring outside, babe. It came in a can. Nice. Oh, oh, it's one of those. Right. right <laughs> you know, right. you know what's great. You know what's great? Peace tea. I love peace tea. It's peace tea. Peace tea is pretty good. It's peace hey, what's tea. Your name? Good. Yes. What's your name, Cassandra? <laughs> uh, my name is obviously Emily. No, my name is Cassandra. I use she, her pronouns. I don't have any caffeinated beverages, but I'm eating some shepherd's pie. So if I am suspiciously silent, it's because I'm shoving potatoes into my mouth. <laughs> and my name, finally, is Ersa Rin. Uh, and I cannot drink anything, for I am too beautiful to imbibe food. Are you like a breatharian or something? I'm like a fragile... Pile of sticks. Are you absorbing those Kadrona rays? <laughs> and that's how you get your sustenance. I that's probably offensive. I guess that's probably offensive, yeah. It's a little offensive. Okay, apologies on that. Um <laughs> anyway, uh I have to go to therapy at like noon, and by go to therapy I mean um tell my computer to start recording audio with a different thing and then like hop off so i'm not actually going anywhere because yeah even though we can't uh, go anywhere even though brad has recovered from the dripping uh it still exists outside so we are hunkered on down and we're going to talk about the message the fourth animorphs journal which you could call a sacred text certainly some might just want to note that this one was really depressing to read you think so all right um i was eating more potatoes um yeah, Cassie is, like, upset about everything all the time. Well, she's the most in touch with, like, A, her emotions, even if it's not always in a mature way. But I do think she's also, like, the most mature. I feel like she's in that state of existential sort of angst that you first come into when you're a teen. And you first sort of, like, are wrapping your head around the idea that there's something bigger than you. Like, I feel like you all had that. Like, I, I had that where I was just, like, deeply interested in the world around me and, like, the, the moral and ethical implications of everything I did when I was a kid and, like, wondering what the greatest, like, sort of aim of human existence was. Parker, I think that's called having an anxiety disorder. I mean, as far as I know, I don't have one of those. Maybe I... 
Oh man. That was just they- me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I was mostly just spent like the age that Cassie is. I mostly just spent that time being like severely depressed and not caring about the outside world at all. So uh can't relate. Yeah. It's a weird time. It's a weird time to be alive. Not just the 1990s, which were certainly a weird time to be alive, but just like, I don't know. Truly. We are here. So uh, we start with Cassie definitely experiencing some uh, high key anxiety as she turns into a squirrel just for funsies. Well, she's got a job to do. (laughs) (laughs) She protect, she attack, but most importantly, (laughs) she eats snack. No, she protect, she attack, but most importantly, she avoid becoming snack. (laughs) (laughs) What a strange relationship to have with a friend that you almost get killed by him. (laughs) Like, (laughs) just because he, like, is hungry and you're just, like, chilling. He's like, oh, sorry, I almost killed you. Yeah, this, uh, this first chapter presages a lot of criminal law that came after it. I guess I hadn't thought of that, but that's interesting. Can I do a dramatic reading of my favorite part of uh, uh-huh. Cassie's squirrel squirrel <laughs> thoughts? Please, I think I know what it's going to be, too. Please do. Excellent. Wonderful. Chestnut. And I had it. No one could take it away. Ha-ha! A noise! What? <laughs> and scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so Tobias almost <laughs> kills her. Um, as one does. As one does. And they talk about their dreams, and then we smash cut to all of them in whose room? Rachel's room, wherever they are, uh, talking about Rachel's Tobias. room. Rachel's, thank you. Because uh, Tobias and uh, Cassie have had the same dream of what we turns out to be a distress signal, basically, from somebody under the ocean. They mentioned some technology I'm not familiar with here. Uh, Jake has a video cassette. Yeah, I saw that too. I don't know what that is. Oh my god, yeah, there were several things in here where I was like, I had to to look that up and be like, what? what is this? This journal in particular seemed like, it just seemed chock full of stuff that I sort of thought I either knew already or like had researched, but like, I didn't know what half this stuff was. Like there's a bunch of programs that they talk about. I didn't get any of these pop culture references. Well, much like the the message, the other one, the vernacular translation of the Bible, uh, so too uh, were the Animorphs journals updated with more pertinent vernacular uh, at a later date in the subsequent decade after they were released. I don't know why they felt the need to mess with what is ostensibly a first person account. I, I, I think that the message wasn't actually didn't actually receive this adulteration, and so we're we're looking at the the technology of the time. Yeah, actually, can we look at something on the cover? Uh, something. At least on the cover, the one that I had, it has like a little, it's not a sticker, but it's supposed to look like a sticker uh, that says, picture yourself morphed. Oh, I have this too on mine. Yeah. It's oh, a I contest. Don't. I don't have this one on mine. Win your really? photo transformed into an animal. Which, why would you want that? I don't know. <laughs> Just get your mid-morph transformation immortalized. Yeah, I really don't know why anyone would think that that would be interesting or attractive to anyone. It's They describe it as such a horrifying process, and, like, it's fun to be an animal, but, you know, why why, why, why have the mixed face thing? I have That's no idea. Pretty gross. Of all the books we read so far, Cassie, I mean, we know that she was the best morpher. She's also the least gross in describing what's <laughs> to her, probably because she has the most control over it. But like I noted yeah. as she was turning into a squirrel and describing how the fur was coming in over her face and the tail popping out that like it didn't feel like immediately like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't like I felt vaguely nauseated reading it. She also definitely uh, points out a lot of morphing challenges um, that I'd sort of thought about from the previous books. And just in general, like making sure that one part morphs at 
the correct time and not too early. Oh yeah, when she's like trying to stay upright as long as possible and keep her legs unmorphed. Right. Yeah. And we ran into that a little bit uh, in our in in volume three of the journals, where they're morphing in a trout and they have to sort of like rearrange their respiratory systems at exactly the right time. God, morphing is weird. What a what a scary thing! Oh my gosh. They could have so easily died. They could have just had wait a, a period of time where they didn't have a respiratory system at all like because those are different things right your lungs yeah lungs and gills, gills are different it's not like lungs would become gills it's like the lungs Probably not the way they described it their lungs disappeared and their gills came in and uh, 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 it just happened uh, to be in uh, the correct order yeah that's i don't want to think about that like, yeah. Let's stop thinking about that. Please. Let's stop thinking about that. I have um, asthma. Well, I don't actually... want to think. No, hey, I have <laughs> asthma. I want to stop thinking about this. As someone also with asthma, I'd like to continue talking about the details of morphing for just another moment. Okay. <laughs> so we know that morphing technology is accessible by the public, is used primarily in the private sectors. However, it is also primarily controlled by its original creators, the Andalites. And we don't know a lot about how it works. So like, I'm curious to know how and why like the functionality really actually happens. Like, I don't know, like, cause sometimes they turn into really small animals. So like, how does that work? Are they just incredibly, they can't be incredibly dense, right? No, it's like, it's the Z space thing. They talk about it later. Oh. Yeah, and, and like the, I think the prevailing theory of physics at the time here was that you know matter couldn't be created and destroyed, and ergo morphing would theoretically violate the laws of physics as they understood them at the time. But now that we know about Z space, it's a little different. Yeah, I've got a lot of, I've got some thoughts and questions that are more related to stuff that happens later. Oh yeah, so. there's a lot of. St I feel okay. This is, I know this is jumping ahead and we're like trying to go in order, but I just want to note that I strongly suspect that Cassie herself as like the Animorph who kind of did a lot of stuff throughout the years and probably had the most control over the journals actually. I strongly suspect that Cassie edited this a lot to like really push her like political agenda um, of conservation, which don't get me wrong, I'm very pro-conservation, but like, I'm not super convinced by a lot of the stuff with like the whales. And I think Kathy edited this. Mm. Interesting. <sighs> yeah, I was surprised by the, I mean, and this is later, but yeah, that are whales just telepathic? Is that just a thing that we know? <laughs> well, we don't, I mean, the, we don't have the words for it because it's not a, a sense that we possess in our own bodies, but like, you know. I don't know. I'm willing to believe this account. I'm I'm I don't I don't necessarily think that the truth was embellished to a degree where she's like ascribing to animals anything that they didn't like communicate to her. I don't know. I I uh I'm I uh I I don't know. I believe the fundamentals of the text if you will. <laughs> I also just have like a stupid grudge against Cassie because I'm named after her and everyone when I introduce myself is like, oh, like the Animorph. And I have to be like, yes, like the Animorph. So. Oh, I thought you were named after the Greek uh, prophet, 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 prophet. Um, I mean, one of my parents, like my dad claims that he assumed I was named after the greek mytholo mythological figure but um both of my moms are like no we definitely named our beautiful daughter after the animorph and my dad was like that really does not track with what i thought we had talked about when we were discussing baby names but okay <laughs> sure <laughs> well right i mean how many how many tobiases have there been in the past a lot boy howdy a lot of tobiases yeah yeah i had like four Tobiases in my first grade class. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I, I was yeah. not the only Cassandra either. There were like two other Cassandras, uh, like two Cassiopeias, and then a bunch of like just Cassies. That's so funny. Yeah, it happens. 
Yeah, I don't think I know another Brad. For our professor. Well, he's Bradley. Bradley. I'm just saying. (laughs) He's Bradley. It's like, it's close. But I was, I was named Brad. Gotcha. Slight difference. It's a cute fact about you. It's a Moe point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I think it's cute. Moving on. So, So, so once Cassie and Tobias regain consciousness, they concur that they're receiving a signal from an Andalite. Because of that spicy brain feel, I guess. <laughs> this yeah. brain feel feels like an Andalite brain feel. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and they they go and check out the ocean, and some sharing pe- people are there. Do they? Does that happen before or after they've? Jake shows them the the VH is VHS. VHS. Yeah, it, it's after. Yeah, it's I like all of that. Yeah. And VCR. then they go. Yeah, so he shows them a, a VCR of the mm-hmm. television. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go check out the beach, and there are a bunch of people from the sharing there who. Caring come after is them. not caring. And they shoot <laughs> at them with like a real gun. Yeah, with a. <laughs> like an old gun. With classic. To be fair, they're probably safer being shot at with a gun than with a Dracon beam, because a gun, unless it hits you in the right spot, will just, like, wound you horribly, but a Dracon beam will, like, dissolve you and you will die and no longer exist. I think they go into this a lot, actually, because, like, the Dracon beams have different power level settings, and... Oh. Yeah, and, like... This is not something I knew. I might be getting it. Can they be set to stun? I think that they can be set to stun, actually. <laughs> they have a zero power level, which they can just use to stun folks. Um, I might be getting ahead of myself in general here, but like... I have questions about that, because it's not the Dracon, like, a disintegration tool. How do you dial down <laughs> disintegration? How do you just disintegrate someone just a little? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's like so, little a disintegration as a dream. Sometimes you just want to burn a little hole in somebody. Well, is it, yeah, yeah, sometimes you, use, you just want. You can use a ballistic weapon for that. You can use a gun. <laughs> That's what that is. Is it puts a little hole in someone? Ah, uh, but. Guns make noise. Hmm? So do Dracon beams! <laughs> okay, anyway, anyway. Um, Sorry, staying on topic. In in chapter six, I think they make, uh, or no, is it, it's chapter six, chapter seven, when they're attempting to escape this, uh, this group of human controllers. Yeah, um, chapter six. I spent a lot of time talking about how I feel like the Animorphs at this juncture are pretty sound tacticians, although maybe not the best strategists. I feel like they make a tactical error here um, because they are, uh, they, they they run into the ocean and then attempt to morph in a trout, which like, eesh. Oh, yeah, God. No, 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 no. You will die. Um, I don't know. It, it it seems like they maybe, uh, they they make a, a an error there, but um, but they manage to make it out alive. What do you think you are? A bull shark? You're not a bull shark. You're like a rainbow trout or something. You're gonna yeah, die. You're not supposed to be in the water. And that also allows the controllers to pick up their clothes. Yeah. I wonder if Tom doesn't recognize his brother's outfits. Like, Ooh, I mean, yeah. Like, okay. It's not mentioned. No offense to Jake, but he has a weird haircut. teenage boys in the 90s all dressed exactly the same, and I don't think Jake <laughs> had a very unique sense of style, and I don't think Tom <laughs> strikes me as the kind of person, or like Tom's yerk strikes me as the kind of person who would notice, like, fashion details, so I feel like it probably is. And also, he's probably not wearing his, like, favorite clothing to go scout around on the beach and potentially morph because he knows he might lose it. So I'm, I'm not too bothered by that. I feel like that makes sense. 20th century masculinity saves the day. <laughs> the only time. <laughs> oh, were they not, did they not, like, was that a thing? Was that a masculinity thing back then where they were just like, we don't care about your Closed to the point where we wouldn't notice them. This is like I don't know. It's like a piece of, it's bad information ops on on Tom's control on Tom's Yerk's part. Like I don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, they didn't, men would even refused to wear skirts back then. Like, they had no fashion sense. Wait, is that true? Yes. God, that's It was silly. like men could only wear pants or else you were, like, shunned. They almost also come close to blowing, like, the last element of surprise that they have going for them at this juncture, because Tom begins to intuit that it's possible that they're not Andalites who are morphing, that it might be just humans. Is it possible? Is Visser 3 wrong? What if they're not Andalites after all? Like, that is the only bit of information that the Andamorphs have succeeded in keeping from the controllers at this point, and they almost lose it again. Right. I mean, that's kind of one of their strongest assets. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they could have had an incredible advantage of, like, surprise, but they just, I don't know. I, again, I'm thinking about it from a tactical standpoint. Like, the, the Animorphs blow almost all of their advantages. They're idiot teenagers with a death wish. That's what they call themselves. Uh, I mean, I, again, I think they're, I don't know. They, they almost blow it completely for everybody at the very end of the very first journal. And I feel like this is the, this is the last moment where it's like, ooh, you know, they've got a tenuous screw, but then they gain a new, uh, they gain a new asset, if you will, yeah. uh, as we see later on in this one. Yes. Uh, so Sorry, excited. Brad, did you have a question you wanted to ask me, Brad? Uh, yes, for the, for the conspiracy theory corner, I know that you have. Like conspiracy uh, theories. I'm just. I know you have done, like, research or, like, know about, like, triangulating where the Animorphs were at from the books. Um, so Cassie mentions that the farm has been in her family since the Civil War. I was thinking about that. Yeah, I had forgotten oh, about that detail completely. I'm just, like, right, I forgot about that. In California? I looked this up and it, it tracks as far as but, I'm Yeah, aware. the timing technically works out, but her. Fa I was just thinking about that like right before we started the discussion. Um, the timing does work, but her family must have come to California like very early on. Um, in terms of when people were going to California, which would be like slightly unusual for a black family, but not as unusual as like whitewashed history wants you to think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's my short and sweet analysis of that. I didn't really have time to look anything up, but just having been endlessly inundated with California history for the first 18 years of my life, that is what little I can remember. <laughs> That's interesting. It might be worth doing some more research into that. I also wonder, like, how much, like, when, when an anthropologist does an ethnography, usually they will change a couple of the details about certain things, such so as to protect not just, this is a prep school thing that I learned, um, that uh, <laughs> not only to protect the people and their identities, but also just to protect the environment that they're working in to, and to make it not 100% immediately clear where they are talking about and it doesn't seem yeah. like the kids have done this it doesn't seem like our champions and saviors have really you know no. they're not anthropologists we don't expect them to be anthropologists they saved the world yeah they tried but there are only so many places in the u.s that are this distance from like that have both uh sort of more not totally rural, but more suburban, semi-rural area and a big city that are a certain distance away from the state capital, a certain distance away from the ocean that have certain species. I, I don't think the kids were really thinking about it because they were probably thinking like, oh, this could be anywhere on either of the coasts. Maybe we could even be in like Mexico or something. But mm. after a while, it just, it's a, a lot of work. I've never like gone over it myself to see if I could perfectly pinpoint but like plenty of people who care more about that than me have done it and it's like if you want to put the effort in you can pinpoint pretty closely without actually knowing any historical facts where they were um parker was there was there anything you wanted to like talk about or get in uh before you have to go doesn't have to be in order just... uh what i have in my notes is being big on consent rules and cassie rules because she's big on consent mm -hmm. I think, okay, I'm not 100% sure of this. I, I, I'll actually get to that in a sec. When Visser 3 shows up, uh, again, this is jumping ahead a little bit, it seems like he's not taking advantage of his knowledge that you can only remain in more for two hours at a time. Yeah. To, but I'm realizing that that, I think, is because he doesn't want to let the other uh, the other sort of yerks in his contingent oh, in smart. on something that could be used against him. Right. That is so, I hadn't, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. I had never thought of that. We think of Visser 3 as making like a couple of really silly tactical errors himself, like a couple of times. Like it's 
I feel like in, you know, in the very first journal, it's entirely possible if he'd been able to morph in time, given that he's got a lot of practice, that he could have just tracked down those, you know, tracked down our heroes and that would have been the end of it, but he doesn't. And I think there are just like things about morphing that he doesn't want the other Yerks to know because he's afraid of betrayal or infighting uh, or uh, people jockeying for position and rank uh, because he isn't, you know, he's not Visor 1 yet. That does seem to be one of the most important aspects of the Yurk hierarchy is just like they're all vying for power. And it's so fascinating how what form you inhabit can like determine part of your hierarchy and him being the only Andalite controller, you know, ever like that is it's I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the main things that got him to his status in the first place. I think it is. Yeah. It's uh yeah again information ops. It's like you have to be careful about uh about what you reveal, what you let people know. So yeah, I have a lot of logistical questions about Visor Three that came up this book and last book. But um, is there anything else before we have to go? I had what I thought was a uh, was a link to a really old but at the time very popular piece of pop culture uh in the name of the dolphins they might be referenced to an ancient television show called friends <laughs> never heard the, of that the, the names of the dolphins where is this this is a deep cut everything's a deep cut when it's 100 years ago um, i mean if for them you know what what would be a deep cut would be like the 1890s do you think they knew anything about the 1890s probably not i don't know anything about the Ross, 1890s Monica, chandler phoebe and rachel are the names of the dolphins mm -hmm. uh Right, but even like their names, I, I wouldn't. I believe I believe names. those are the names of the characters from the television show Friends. Say we all do our individual research and check back next week. Yeah, this might be this might be again part of this like coded message that the conspiracy theory I talked last about last time that all of the animorphs except Tobias died in uh, the earlier things. This might this I think is I don't know is like there I was always like there was some suspicion about the names of the dolphins and I think that that's I, I think I pinpointed where that comes from, but I believe that the dolphins are named after uh, folks from a television show that I have never seen a single episode of. Me neither. I didn't even know it was. Uh television show until you said that I, don't. I think the name chandler stuck out to me as being unusual for the time and so i, I checked it out um but yeah uh those are all of the rest of the notes that i have for this book i kind of just uh i kind of just poured through the back half of it and just like absorbed this narrative and just like what goes on it's uh it's an interesting tale yeah i definitely took less notes this time just because i was so all of the action at the back half with the going out to the ocean um, mm -hmm. was just, wow, I was really there with them. It was very intense. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's what I've got. I, I, I should probably head out and get ready for my appointment. But yeah, I'll be excited to hear what the rest of you do for class discussion. Hopefully, Professor Bradley has uh, been satisfied with my contributions. Sure he has. But I, I suppose I'll dip out at this point. Okay. You all have a great time. Yeah, you too, Parker. Yeah. It was great to hear from you. Good to hear from you all too. Have a good appointment, babe. Thank you. Stay safe. Thank you. Stay, Stay safe, everyone. Yeah. So rip, rip Parker forever. It's just the three of us. <laughs> Not rip Parker forever. She's literally behind me. I miss her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have some logistical questions about the Yerks and Visser 3 that sort of weave into the ethics mm -hmm. things. Um, Let's get into it. So... They go to the zoo to acquire the dolphins because that's sort of the plan is they're going to go explore the ocean as dolphins. And Cassie has a lot of ethical questions and like also logistical questions about what is it they're actually doing if when they're like acquiring the DNA and then becoming the animal. Is there a conscious animal in there that they are inside of and controlling in a way that the Yerks are inside of and controlling humans? Or is it that they're actually becoming that animal and the brain chemistry is what's sort of making them acquire all those instincts and weird urges? And the fact that dolphins are so intelligent is what makes Cassie think like this would be like a shibboleth or something. Be like, mm -hmm. is this what's a shibboleth? It's like a a thing that you do to prove truth. I don't know if I'm using it correctly here. But like something that you would say or do that would prove that you are what you say you are or that like 
you're a true believer or something. I can look up the biblical reference. We're getting real biblical today. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I feel like a lot of what you're asking about, Brad, is probably deeply protected government secrets. So I don't really know the answer to a lot of your questions. I mean, I guess it's less questions than like things that I was thinking about also with the last book, but it wasn't necessarily as relevant. They were just all these thoughts coming to me as just like how the Yerk transformations and the Animorph transformations have similarities and differences like in their um, in their advantages and also their their disadvantages, like strategically, anybody could be a Yerk and also any buddy any animal or human could theoretically yeah this is what i was talking about when you were asking if someone can someone was asking if you can morph humans and this journal was what i was talking about when i said yeah "Yeah, you can yeah but the andalites and the animorphs can only do so for two hours the yerks also have a time limit they have like yeah three days like it's three days okay three days yeah you can go three days before you need more chondrona radiation but it definitely you start to feel it before three days i mean i had something that i wanted to say that was like slightly off topic but also slightly relevant now i can't remember what it was i'm gonna say something on topic oh i remembered or or i found the thing in my notes that i wanted to the other similarity that i thought of from last book was also like they both have to fight for control Mm. they're both experiencing the like there's two minds in here and cassie is seeing the ethical side of that on the animals on the yerk side it's really clear there's like a conscious human or whatever they choose yeah this is getting a little like conspiracy theory of my own um yes but like (laughs) conspiracy theory corner yes (laughs) let's just have a little section so the professor doesn't actually have to take what we're saying too seriously but consider the Andalite at the time, war machine that is intended to fight the Yerk Empire. I don't know exactly when the military created the Animorph technology or the the morphing technology, but if it was after the war with the Yerks started, could it have been like in response to or inspired by the way that the Yerks work and their like physiology and the way that they like take over people's minds? Do you think that that had any? Oh, yeah, I don't. Really- I don't know the history. I'm trying to remember if morphing technology predates the Yerk conflict or the Yerk conflict predates the morphing technology and I do not remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't I don't know either, but like I just I can really see like based on what we know about the Andalite military and like what I think what we see in some of the later books, it just it makes sucks. so much sense to me that they would be like they would they would take inspiration from their enemies. Yeah, there's another comparison difference is the Andalite morphing is technology and Yerks taking over bodies is biology. That says a lot, honestly, because like the Yerks otherwise, again, getting ahead of myself, but the the Jeds, have the the Jeds been mentioned yet? I don't remember. They've not been mentioned yet. Okay, so, uh, all right, never mind. I think we should try and let Brad, who has not read these before, experience them as with like fresh eyes as much as possible. I know you kind of yelled at me for spoiling stuff, but... I think maybe that should be our policy. Yes. We yeah, want it to absolutely. be a surprise for you, Brad. Aw, <laughs> thanks, you guys. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a it's a piece of history that's told as a narrative, so you can so much better understand it that way. And I, I don't want to spoil anything for you. I'm just sort of like, I'm all in the, the theory crafting part of it. <laughs> so one thing that I was thinking about when Brad was talking is that your body as an animal or is that an animal's body or what is... What's that thought experiment with the boat that's like... Oh, the ship of Theseus. Yes, yes, thank you. The ship of Theseus. That's what I was thinking about. Because I think my impression from like reading these and from like, you know, hearing whatever is that the way that morphing works is it somehow rewrites your body mass to have the genetic code of the animal instead. And then we did kind of mention Z-space. So, you know, extra gets shooped over into Z-space and then like excess, I think gets kind of swooped out of z-space or something i don't totally remember mm-hmm. um so. but so my opinion is that it's not a separate animal it's your body reformed into an animal with potentially altered brain chemistry that can affect how your neurology like okay i'm not a neuroscientist but i think that like kind of the way that you have a personality is a combination of both genetic stuff and also memory 
and how that's affected how all the little electrical impulses in your brain do things. So I feel like it's probably like you still have kind of the same yeah. mental map of connections and memories, but it's imprinted upon different genes and a different brain structure would be my guess. But so I was kind of thinking of like, if it is your mass, your body, but if it's been so altered, it's like the, the ship of Theseus thing. Like, is it still you? was where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. That's such an interesting thing to think about. My opinion is that it is still you because it did start out as your mass and it will go back to being your mass unless you're Tobias. Right. Well, I mean, I guess you could sort of classify technically. Okay, so if you go by the definition that trauma can affect the neurology in your brain and like... Oi, howdy. Your physiology and just like by experiences, I guess you could sort of qualify morphing as a kind of trauma, sort of? I would agree with that, absolutely. Yeah, like, there's a perceived psychological phenomena of having two minds warring for control over one body, which is a real phenomena that happens outside of the morphic technology. It is still, like, different. Oh, yeah, it's definitely different, but, like, there's some yeah, there's some interesting parallels there. Yeah. And then, so, like, because we have, like, you, you were sort of referencing, like, nature versus nurture, like what makes a person different from a bunch of statistics, basically. We don't, like if someone morphs an elephant, we don't really know where that extra mass comes from, except from like Z space. So are you designated like an amount that is able to be like changed and formed into whatever you need? Maybe you're stealing some other morphers body mass that they don't need because they're like a fly right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, if I don't know if that's the case because again, like protected military and governmental medical technology, but like I wonder if it's ever happened if that is how it works that someone like accidentally ends up mixing up the DNA and they like don't quite go back, right? And suddenly you're like you've got part of someone else's DNA and they've got part of yours. Ugh. That's a horrifying thought. <laughs> you're welcome. <sighs> Shall we get back to the story? Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, no, don't apologize. Everything is very, very interesting and good. Theory crafting corner done. (laughs) (laughs) Jake and Cassie have a heart to heart. The heart of Cassie's struggle this book is not wanting responsibility. Marco puts it most bluntly as not wanting to be responsible for other people getting hurt and not wanting to be the one to make the decisions. But she ends up deciding that they should go try to be dolphins Mm -hmm. and they go out to ocean get very very distracted it seems almost like because the dolphin mind is so intelligent that they let their guard down yeah and don't think that they have to resist it and then they lose 45 minutes according to tobias okay this is i know i already ranted about this in our last class discussion but i want to rant about it again from what i know about dolphin behavior this is also not a great portrayal of dolphin behavior because from what i've heard dolphins are awful dolphins do terrible things they're jerks and this is just like oh they're playful happy fun times i mean they do like kill a shark which you know cassie technically kills that shark because she hits it and it bleeds and then the other sharks eat it so it's like cassie you're already responsible for deaths like chill out but anyway my point is dolphins are not fun and happy they're jerks well Could they be fun and happy and also just do terrible things while thinking they're fun and happy? Yeah, Cassandra, all beings can contain multitudes. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, they can still be terrible and do terrible things, but their sort of neurochemistry and the way they feel is that it's a game. And they just do terrible things and it's a game. I think that might be called psychopathy. Yeah. I was gonna say, it sounds kind of like one of my exes. (laughs) I just, I like sharks. I think sharks are cute. So I feel bad for the sharks. Why will no one think of the sharks in this book? This is anti-shark propaganda. (laughs) They're just cute with their little teeth. Little teeth. Cassie states when they first transform that she's got no fear. And then they go see, they see the sharks. And it's like, one fear. I got that one. I got that that deep cut. Love old me. Yes. One time I I showed a cute girl a like edited version of that meme that I had made and she didn't get it at first. And then when she did get it, she like did a full nosedive <laughs> off of my couch and almost gave herself a concussion on my coffee table. It was great. I felt so accomplished. 
I legit thought I was going to have to like take her to the hospital because she came so close to just like bashing her head in. Oh my goodness. Oh jeez. Anything for comedy. Mm-hmm. Injured by me. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely screwed up my ribs laughing at memes, so like that tracks. Yeah, I've hurt my knees just falling on the ground because a meme was so funny <laughs> that I just <laughs> collapsed. That oh, happens. I feel that. But anyway, yes, so dolphins. Yeah, they save this whale. Cassie has a telepathic connection with this whale. Definitely made up. Yeah. Mind speak. Is mind speak technology or is mind speak? No, it's how the end lights communicate. But they're able to give it to the anamorphs along yes. with the technology. It's, it's just part of the morphing technology. It just seems unlikely that whales would have telepathy. Yeah, I think that this part could just be fudged or it could be interpreted as dolphins and whales being of the same family, sort of have nonverbal communication um, or verbal communication involved, um, like but subtler sort of stuff that like makes Cassie think that she is being mind spoken to. But realistically, she's just sort of interpreting a different sort of language from this, this whale. That's... Yeah. That's part of how I perceive this. Marco gets very injured as a dolphin. So this is the first instance we see of somebody morphing back to human or just morphing in general to heal an injury. Yeah. And they head back. Because they realized they totally screwed that one up and their plan was not going to work. Indeed. I've got a few chapters where I didn't write any notes. Um, so what happens after that? Me look, because I have the document open. <laughs> Marco groaned. I hate plans that begin with the words, first we morph. <laughs> Marco, I'm sorry, but all of your plans start that way, because that's your whole gimmick, is that you can morph. So Cassie goes over to Marco's place. We get a brief glimpse of Marco's dad, um, who is, like, dealing with a lot of grief and is just like sitting on the couch staring at the TV completely unresponsive and Cassie apologizes to Marco about um, her plan getting him injured and that's when Marco like kind of calls her out and is like you don't like responsibility and bad things happen and that's just the way it is get over it basically mm -hmm. yeah because Cassie's used to being around death she talks about because of working as a vet working with animals but it's always her dad who's in charge because he's the doctor. I, to me, it seems in large part because Cassie doesn't want the responsibility. It's that she, she really doesn't want bad things to be her fault. Yeah, which is Marco's interpretation. It's the less charitable interpretation, but true. Because I feel like it would be really weird to have someone who's like, I hate all responsibility, including being responsible for like good things happening. You know, I... I hate being responsible for like making someone smile or giving someone a hot meal. So I feel like really what Cassie, when Marco says Cassie doesn't like responsibility, I think what he really means is she does not want to be the one who feels like they should feel all of the guilt if something bad happens. Is that because she, as an, like a, a deeply empathetic person inherently struggles with other people being unhappy with her or the pain that, that others feel is that part of it do you think i don't know i mean this is kind of again my personal bias coming in because everyone i know who has been like oh i'm super empathetic has turned out to be an awful person pretty much <clears throat> maybe not everyone no i'm sorry not everyone but i'm thinking of like a few specific people i know who have been very much like i'm such an empathetic person i care about everyone my entire worldview is based on empathy and if i can't empathize with you that means you're a terrible monster who doesn't deserve basic human rights or basic any other species rights for that matter empathy is a tool and it's one that cassie uses but she's obviously flawed as well yeah um and i think the issues with Cassie's tendency to filter the world through her sense of empathy continue to pop up throughout the journals and can become more and more of a problem as like all of the kids character traits that have positive and negative sides the negative sides become more and more of a problem as they all become more traumatized and more jaded by war and more invested in bigger and worse and more dangerous missions yeah 
and more doing war crimes, as I keep saying. <laughs> well, eventually she does decide to take responsibility in the sense that she comes up with the plan with Jake. She says, yes, let's do it. And they go do this wild, wild plan. They turn into birds and they just ride a ship out oh, of yeah. the ocean. <laughs> just, just smart. Like, I don't think I would have thought of that. That was smart. It is smart. But also they were just human children stowing away on some random boat. It's a time-honored tradition. Run away to join the pirates. <laughs> True. They get themselves into the water and as dolphins, and then they go down really deep and they find a bubble. <gasps> they find the, X. Who could be inside? The uh, He's my find, favorite guy. <laughs> they find the... Um, Sorry, I'm trying to remember a specific Star Wars reference. You can. I just want to say it. What what's Jar Jar? What is Jar Jar again? A Gungan. He finds the Gungan. They find the Gungan city under the water. <laughs> bubble, bubble city. Um, except it, I mean it's just a park, but you know it's a it's a Star Wars thing. Gungans. I've never seen Star Wars. I was I was just like, okay, I'm gonna roll with this. Maybe this is some alien species I haven't heard of. Okay, sure. It's uh, a. <laughs> Fake alien species. As opposed to the real alien species is that we now all live with. I like the frag ones. Yeah, and they find uh, your favorite X. your favorite person. Aximili uh, Escaro. I love him. He's a sweet little boy. <laughs> Except for, you know, his whole, like, ableism, racism, xenophobia dealio that he gets more into exactly. later on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's a very... Um, He's he's a very problematic character, and his they're all problematic. It's true, but at this like yeah, I mean, sort of in a traditional like problematic character with like regards to social movements, he's difficult, and you know I think that that definitely comes up a few times, like out of necessity, and also because people have moral problems with it. It's really cool how we meet him, and I mean, fascinating person. <laughs> Yeah, they have an exchange of information. They tell Axe that Prince Elfengor is dead, and he responds like a child reading a comic book, finding out that Superman died. I know. I felt I, that's I. That was the line that I wanted to highlight as well. The Prince Elfengor. No one could kill Elfengor. He is the greatest warrior ever. Ever. No one could kill him. Just that was just like, oh, ouch. He's he's baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the moment when you like realize, oh. He's also a kid. He's not going to be yeah. that. I mean, it, he's going to be helpful, I'm sure. But like, it's not like we need an adult. And then they found <laughs> just another kid. Yeah. They hoped they were going to find, you know, a mighty fierce warrior who had somehow <laughs> escaped and could tell them what to do and would reassure them that the Andalites will be here any day now. And instead they're like... Ah, uh, yes, a child who knows nothing about anything and did not pay attention in class and who says it will take at least a year, possibly two, until the Andalites make it here. It's funny to me why he was so distracted and also the fact that, given that, he also has such high-minded ideals about the military. Yeah, he really has, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the vibe of a kid who's just repeating what he has been told. Exactly. And, like, not, we meet a lot of different sorts of Andalites, and not all of them speak the way that he does, but he has such an interesting particular way of speaking that really stands out to me, that is obviously very alien, but also, like, even among Andalites, makes him stand out. I do sometimes wonder if Axe was, like, whatever the Andalite equivalent of neurodivergent would be, because mm -hmm. not only is he weird to, to humans, sorry, he's also weird to andalites like andalites and some i think some of that is because of his young exposure to trauma and exposure to another culture that is of humans but a lot of the andalites when they met axe later were like this kid is so weird he likes all this weird stuff and he like cares about all the stuff that we don't care about and doesn't care about stuff that we do care about and like willingly lets a human boss him around what's up with him in a way even though axe is like also a child i think they did kind of luck out in ending up with an andalite who is like young enough to learn and hadn't been totally indoctrinated in their imperialist propaganda totally indoctrinated because he has that whole screed about yerks 
But I think even if they'd gotten another young Andalite, it would be different. But specifically having Axe, he's like, since he's already kind of a weird Andalite, he's much more open to working with them and like letting Jake be the leader. Definitely. He's not a leader himself. He needs to have that kind of responsibility be taken away. Yeah, kind of like Cassie. A lot like Cassie, actually. It's an interesting parallel. Yeah, it's not a parallel I had thought of just until you said that. But I think that is both Cassie and Axe are people who... Look to Jake specifically for leadership. Look to Jake specifically and just in general don't want to be like the one who has all of the responsibility or most of the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the other Animorphs definitely can, like Jake is the leader. He grows into that role more and more. But I think other Animorphs are more willing to be the one who makes the decisions in some specific situations or the one who makes, you know, a tough call when Jake's not there. But I feel like Cassie and Axe often are very reluctant to do that. Yeah, despite being really skilled in terms of like combat, specifically, they're both marked as being excellent fighters. Moving forward with what else they talk about, Axe has his whole xenophobic rant about Yerks that is not completely accurate. Thanks, Axe. Someone's been listening to too much Andalite propaganda. I mean, just like, you know, you could play a drinking game and take a drink for everything that Ant- that Axe is just completely wrong about. Because it's, it's like... You'd be dead. Yeah, you would die, but you could do it. Because he's like, oh, the Yerks just hate everything for no reason. They want to make everything barren and destroy all life. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so he tells the kids his version of the Yerk plan for Earth, which would be, yeah, destroy most life on Earth. This is This is not what the kids thought was going to happen this is mm-hmm. yeah not at all yeah the kids were like oh well they're doing mysterious take over the world things that we have not fully analyzed but like you know we'll stop them and then the andalites will come and help us stop them and it will not have any long-term effects on our planet it will <sighs> just you know be like a bad time where a lot of people were controlled by yerks but then after that, everything will be fine. And Axe is like, in his opinion at least, well, A, the Yerks kill everything, and B, the Andalites are going to take their sweet time getting here. Right, which is so frustrating from the main character's point of view because what's more pressing than the current crisis? And like, who are they to stop whatever's happening and going to happen? Yeah, but someone has to. The cavalry has to come sometime. (laughs) Their cavalry, because they... They have hooves and four legs. <laughs> also probably offensive. <laughs> I'm okay with offending Andalites a little bit. I don't like them very much. <laughs> also probably offensive. <laughs> That's fine. To any of our Andalite listeners, I love you. So the Yerks and the controllers are right above them on the water, and we're out of time. They turn into dolphins. Axe turns into a shark. Does not know what a shark is. <laughs> uh, just acquired it. Asked a lot of very funny questions about he's being a shark. Gotta have, he's gotta have ice dogs. Yeah. And they run away, and surprise, surprise, Visser 3 is there, which is starting to feel a little bit like he's an anime villain that has to come back every episode. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. And he's some freaky, weird sea animal called a. Mar, 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 Mardret. Yeah. Mardrut? Mardret? Something like that. I mean, I'm looking at the word. I just have never heard it said out loud. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he ever morphs the same thing twice. I think he does once in a while. We're starting to hit the end of where I had read ahead to because I had like, you know, back when we first started to like lock things down, I was like, oh, this is fine. I have so much free time. And I read a bunch of our reading mm-hmm. ahead of time. And now I'm like... Everything is extremely stressful and I'm working on five million different things, so I have not been reading ahead. But I think in the one of the next few books he might repeat a morph. If he does only ever do one like one alien morph and then doesn't do it again and comes back every episode, 
That is also a very anime villain thing. <laughs> Visser 3's secret anime villain leadership school. <laughs> Visser 3 has just been hovering outside of Earth for like 30 years before the Chronicles start, just like intercepting radio waves and TV waves and watching a bunch of like old school Sailor Moon or something. Oh my gosh. Well, he, you know what? He does also thought shout. So like, that's another thing that an anime villain might do. Yeah. Can anyone do like a good anime villain voice? Someone should do a good like anime villain voice reading some of his we lines. We should definitely do that. <laughs> I don't think I can do an anime villain voice. I don't watch that much anime. Parker might be. If you can't, Parker can probably do a good anime villain. I don't think I could do. I don't. I don't watch enough anime. It. We don't have to do it. It would just be funny at some point to have one of us do a dramatic reading, so we can really get the full effect. Yeah. No, that is one of my favorite. I like mentioned this before. One of my favorite moments in this whole chronicle is right at the end of chapter 21 when they're asking Axe what a Mardra is and he's like oh it's this creature it makes this noise and they hear the noise and Margo's like like that and Axe is like I guess I wasn't paying attention in class (laughs) which is just so funny to me because it's just such a classic like teenager of any species mood being like yeah i zoned out in class and now this really relevant information i like barely remember because i wasn't paying attention in class would you expect (laughs) like your new alien friend to be able to bring all this exposition and like know things about the world but but he's a teen yeah. and he doesn't yeah, know like, things you know, that a teen like, wouldn't know. Like in so much of the pop culture of that era, before all of this happened, a lot of the pop culture was like, yeah, we have an alien on the team. And, you know, in anything, um, you know, there's an alien member of our team and they know everything about their planet's culture, which is also just one culture with no variation. And then in this, it's like, Axe is like, yeah, I have no idea what animal that is. And it's so funny because I think I've like heard at least that you see this huge shift a few years after the journals were published towards more non-exposition alien species in fiction Mm. where you have like an alien character who's like we come from a diverse culture with many variations and also i only know about my culture pretty much and i didn't you know pay attention in anthropology class right well it wouldn't be anthropology but you know but yeah so i definitely like i said earlier I'm really suspicious of this whole part where five whales are all nearby enough to show up at the same time, mystically cued by the ocean to save them. Does ex orca. <laughs> God. To be fair, the ocean is incredibly vast and terrifying, and we have not plunged all but of the its the telepathic even today. whales. They. <laughs> They're real, okay? okay? I will say that there is one known telepathic whale, but that's because she's not actually a whale, and also no one's heard from her in a while, and she's probably dead by now. But she didn't exist yet when... No! I'm trying not to spoil things for Brad. Oh, I don't know what you're talking Um, about, actually. Well, anyway, so she isn't around yet, so it's fine. There's, There's no telepathic whales in the ocean yet. Except Free Willy. Oh, before the whales show up, no. before before Dozek's whale, we have a moment that is nearly identical to a moment at the end of the encounter, the last book, where they are, think they're about to die. They, they're turning around to fight Visser, and Cassie says, Jake, I wanted to tell you, dot, dot, dot. And Jake says, yes, me too, Cassie, mm. which is nearly identical. Emotionally to constipated teenagers. Yeah. Nearly identical to the exchange between Tobias and Rachel at the end of the last book, which I think, Cassandra, I think you were saying you were, like, suspicious of. And, like, one of the things that's, like, why would this be in here? I think that was Parker, actually, who said that. Yeah. Um, And the fact that it's in two books in a row, almost the same exchange in the same place, that continues to be suspicious to me. It's also because, like I said, both of these, like, potential couples take a really long time to go anywhere, even though they've allegedly acknowledged their feelings very early on in the journals. So I'm kind of I'm kind of coming around to Parker's point of view on this one. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. Yeah. So they don't die. The whales save them. The psychic Hooray. whales save them. And, and help them get home. Uh, without having to swim, the whales just home. mystically know where to take them. Apparently, yeah. communicated mind speak. 
<sighs> yeah, and then the last weird thing happens, which is they get back to sort of where they got their clothes and Axe, they're like, Axe, you can't just walk around. You're blue and have <laughs> hooves. Um, so we get the first human morph where he morphs not just into like one of them, but he takes all of their DNA and morphs into a weird amalgamation of Rachel, Cassie, Jake, and Marco, which is creepy. It also opens the door for weird animal hybrid morphs. <laughs> Feel like we only ever see that kind of thing happen where you're using samples from the same species. Yeah, I thought he mentioned that. Yeah, but I feel like theoretically you could like acquire a bunch of different dogs and then combine them and see like what mixing those breeds of dog would be or something like <laughs> I'm that. I'm sure someone's tried it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I think my impression is you can't just create random hybrids. I I mean, as far as I know, maybe someone's experimenting with that, but I think it has to be all the same species. So he's able to mix all four of them. And that's what I was talking about when we were talking about the first journal, about how you can mix stuff like that. I think we were talking about when Jake morphs Homer. Mm -hmm. And thus the chaos of Axe is released unto Earth, as we will see in the coming journals. Axe. Axe is is a sweet being of ultimate chaos. Um, is his perspective next, or do we still have um, one more? Let me see. I might be able to tell just from the readings. I gotta assume it's Marco, right? It would be weird if they skipped Marco and did Axe. Oh, right. No, yeah, of course, it's Marco. It's Marco, yes. It's Marco next, and then I think Axe after that, maybe? I can check. Okay. Well... We'll get yeah, so next week we can read the next journal, which is called The Predator, and it's narrated by Marco. And Brad, I know I keep teasing you, but you're going to see some serious plot twists about something that you sort of thought of that <laughs> I have been desperately trying to not say anything about in this next journal. Great. I will. I will read up on that, and you can release all of your your feelings and thoughts about that once i know <laughs> okay all right also i should probably go y'all okay yeah 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 let's uh let's sign stay off. safe everyone stay, stay safe, safe everybody bye y'all bye 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 bye, -bye. I want them to morph octopi. Okay, octopi are so smart.
Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl off the EP Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of Noelle's music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Maria Malucci, Hamlet Cooper, and Bly. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Potomorphs, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe.